Actually, best choice movies, the world's only movie podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Chris Chafin. And I am second in command of this Enterprise Starship, Caleb Shively. That is, Caleb, I just want to thank you for bringing up Star Trek. That means a lot to me. You know how yeah, important man. it is in my life. Thank you very much. Yeah, man. Uh, you can bring up basketball later on. <laughs> Forget <it back. laughs> I, I honestly don't even know that level of basketball reference. So <laughs> I'm Michael Jordan from the Chicago Bulls. There we go. Yeah. That makes me uh, Coach Phil Jackson. Oh, okay. So you, you lost me now. Um, yeah. Every episode on Actually Best Choice Movies, we talk about two movies. One of them's old. One of them's new. Traditionally, Caleb, they are in the genre of good. Although I understand maybe there will be a dispute about this week's episode. Hmm, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting thing. Yeah, we do try two good movies uh, considered good. Uh, sometimes they're from just a legendary filmmaker who you know we could cover and have a long conversation about. And that's what this week is. It's a yeah, that's a new movie from Clint Eastwood, uh, Crime Macho, and then just a movie right before this, uh, Richard Jewell, uh, Clint Eastwood, uh, who has directed over I don't know fifty films, has been working since the since the fifties. Uh, then I say so something crazy. else about the fifties for the rule of threes, but yeah, crazy. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. He's 91 years old. That's a thing people could not stop talking about when Crime Macho came out. It's a lot in my notes, too. Yeah, he's a directed and starred in a movie as a 91-year-old man. Crazy. Crazy. I mean, it's admirable just on its face in some yeah. way, right? And he has earned that because he is Clint Eastwood. But, you know, we'll get to yeah. that We'll and get more. into it. We'll get into <laughs> it and more. That's all this week on Actually, Best Choice. Movie. Huge. <laughs> Movies, yes. Um, but before we get to any of that, we already had started doing it. Basically, we're talking about Clint Eastwood as a director, right? A very controversial figure in as we sit here in 2021, right, Caleb? Uh, sure, yes and no. Uh, yes, uh, for uh, political reasons and also who he is as a person. And also, uh, no, just to say the devil's advocate of no, of like, he's a, a filmmaker. He's a, a, a pretty great artist when it's all said and done. Of, you look at his breadth of work since uh, uh, his first movie was in, uh, I believe, the 70s. Uh, so he's an amazing director, kind of, too, just for the output and, and for the fact that he's still making movies in his 90s. Like, it, it, that's absolutely insane. And I'll right, give him credit, credit for that. It's insane. Yeah. He's an American institution. I mean, just if you want to say like somebody who's been associated with iconic pieces of American culture. Mm -hmm. He I is mean, American culture to an extent. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Unmatched, you know, unmatched. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess we're looking at more of his, because uh, we're doing two, his two most recent movies, we were looking more at his late period. And like, where does his late period even start? It's like, yeah. he has a, a vast late period. It's working working late, consistently late from 1995, <laughs> basically, right? So what is... Uh, yeah, uh, you know, he worked, he was born in 1930, uh, uh, so it's a nice cutoff year, so we can start at the year 2000, which also, if you look at his filmography, he had a couple, his 90s films are crazy, that's where he did Bridges Madison Square, Bridgesons of Madison County, uh, crazy 90s. He Midnight also, in the Garden uh, of Good and Evil, yeah, I forgot he directed that. Unforgiven is an amazing movie, won a bunch of Oscars, uh, but yeah, yeah, but anyway, we're going to start in the year 2000, because... 1999's movie was his first like huge flop. It was called True Crime. Uh, it was 16 million off a of 15 of a 55 million dollar budget, so it lost 40 mil. That's rough. That's so a rough ratio. What do you do after that? You go back to what you know with a flashy title called Space Cowboys. 
Uh, and it's him. Let me see if I can do it off the dome. It's him, oh, Morgan it. Freeman, Tommy Lee Jones, and oh, is there another person in there? Uh, you're wrong. It's not Morgan Freeman. He wasn't working with black people then. <laughs> oh, it's Donald Sutherland. I, now I'm looking at the poster. Yeah, uh, and James Garner. I'm thinking of old dogs, maybe? Is that what I'm thinking of? I don't think he... I'd be funny if he was an old dog. Well, uh, I think Morgan there, Freeman is an old dog. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. If it, I, I, I'm not that familiar with the genre of old men doing I, <laughs> I can't believe you don't know the cast of old dogs, Caleb. Then uh, there was Wild Hogs, which had John Travolta and Tim Allen. But, but we're not talking about those <laughs> assholes. Uh, so yeah, Space Cowboys happened. A movie called Blood Work, which Jeff Daniels is kind of good and happened. And then he kind of like... Hey, it's Clint. He's a good filmmaker. Really, really ramps two, up at this point, right? Two yeah. back-to-back Oscar-winning great movies. Uh, Mystic River, which won uh, several Oscars for its actors. Great movie. Uh, Marsha Gate Harden's dope in it. Uh, and then a movie that still kind of slaps, uh, I would give it up for, uh, Million Dollar Baby. Million Dollar Baby, yeah. Which you won the best director for. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. And Absolute picture, sensation picture, yeah. movies, you know. Huge deals. Got it. Remember how what a big deal Million Dollar Baby was. Imagine... Mm-hmm. You know, in my, I'm also always I'm often thinking about this in relation to the 90s, but even the fact that a movie like Million Dollar Baby was like the biggest thing in pop culture in a year in 2004. That's totally insane. That's yeah, it's insane. insane. I remember uh, Michael Scott referencing on The Office and that was like, wow, that's funny, a, a weird cut to do for this weirdly popular TV show. Yeah, good for them. It's a good movie. Swank's amazing. And maybe also I would say that's when you could start being like, oh, wait, he's should definitely not be starring in his movies. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I would say that. Giving up for like, a, yeah. I mean, she is, he does star, he's a supporting actor in, that has Morgan Freeman. He does work with black <laughs> people. Now he's, now he's working with black people. <laughs> so I would say beginning with his 2006, he's released two movies and they're both kind wild, of, yeah. Yeah, Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima, both of them these kind of movies about like service and duty that are very like, you know About war, yeah. <laughs> about war, about World War Two. They're very they're starting to be very conservative, right? Very conservative and a little bit yeah, less well, nuanced. Letters from Iwo Jima, yeah. It's true. Uh, I don't know. There's uh, I- Iwo Jima is not too bad as a good Ken Watanabe film. He was Ken Watanabe in the early two thousands. Come on. Uh yeah, but yeah, the, both those movies like I don't remember much. And I don't think I uh I don't know about their award stuff, and I passed yeah. over them one thing Can because. Just... Go ahead, go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say we don't have to go through because there is like yeah. you're saying he's directed so many movies in the last. Yeah, I think 10 years. just like and we're still in 2006. Yeah, and so we're only uh, in 2006. We named like six movies. He's yeah, like, he's like he's, Woody he, Allen. He directs a movie every year. Again, so this is two th- uh, to the year 2000. He is in his 70s at this point. This is his 70s. So in 2008, he's 78 years old. He releases two movies. Uh, an iconic one, and then one that gets short shrift that I like called The Changeling, which premiered yeah. at Cannes. It uh, starred in her prime Angelina Jolie. Well, see, and I then think the- this is a weird. I think this is actually a weird period of Angelina Jolie when she was like starting to be overexposed, and people were starting to have negative feelings yeah, about her. That's true, and she kind of like showed it a little bit. People don't, but yeah, uh, the, uh, just like Clint himself, kind of too. But yeah, it's just, yeah. it's a decent movie. You know, uh, he doesn't let outside a million dollar baby and this. There's not many women starring in his movies, but you know. Uh, 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 Go check it out if you ever get an opportunity to. It's not a bad late period piece of film. But he, same year to move right along. Well, wait, uh, can I say hit, something? Oh, no, yes. no, 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 you, you go ahead. I want to talk about what you're about to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'm setting you up here. Uh, same year he released an iconic performance for him in the movie Gran Torino. Yeah, so Gran Torino, very interesting to think about in relation to, you know, Cry Macho, which we're going to be doing this week, because it's very, very similar, except Gran Torino is, like, way better. And in a lot of ways, this sets the template for the, like, late, late period Clint Eastwood we still have, which is this 
he's trying to project this image of somebody who's gruff and like you seems conservative, but has a heart of gold and basically has your values. If you really talk to him, you know, like that's kind of the character he's trying to play in movies and live. I think from, from this point on for me in general, that movie kind of, uh, I don't know. He shouldn't be tackling race, <laughs> He's uh, but he can, he, and he's fine. He, 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 he can, he, you know, he can, uh, uh, but at, like he's earned the right to like talk about, issues and good for him for you know showing asian americans and uh i don't know it just felt like i i i, I kind of blocked it out of my mind and yeah, i, I right. thought about rewatching it for this podcast but then i said no i don't want to see gun toting clint eastwood That's so weird uh, but i do after watching several uh, like these two movies and then thinking about him is i do have a more respect that i'm going to give him as he is a uh, i did say he's an artist uh but yeah grant torino yeah. kind of like is what you think of now when you think of late period Clint Eastwood. And even I would say the like, so Cry Macho is kind of the same character that he's playing. And I would also say in The Mule, he's basically playing the same character too, right? I didn't see The Mule, yeah. A lot of, I mean, it's different. Obviously, he's supposed to be down on his luck and stuff, but a lot of the movie is about Clint interacting with minorities. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, for some reason, he's obsessed with doing this. Um, and it's like, it's not exactly hateful and, and sometimes it isn't uh, hateful at all, but it's just weird that this is the thing that he likes doing. And, and if I can get around now to this other thing, which is like the other thing, the iconic thing you think about with Clint Eastwood is his appearance at the 2012 Republican Democratic or Republican convention, where he's like doing this whole crazy speech to an empty chair about Mm -hmm. Barack Obama. And I feel like, especially since then people have I'd every and 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 he the next movie he put out after that that people really cared about was American Sniper, which was again <laughs> like a very conservative kind of movie. So he which, created this image of himself as like a huge, huge Republican, like exactly the kind of villain that everybody hates. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's wild because one the American Sniper huge box office it, was, it made more. It was the highest grossing movie of that year. It made more than Marvel movies. That's insane. That's crazy. Uh, and also that same year he put out Jersey Boys. Which is <laughs> also Jer- fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah, he directed Jersey Boys. Yeah. But he, he probably did that in what, like a couple weekends, you know? He just like showed up. And- he loves music. That's an underrated thing about Clint Eastwood too is that he loves that music. His true. scores are amazing too. Uh, he doesn't do the scores. He just knows cool people. Uh, but yeah, he directed a Charlie Parker documentary. Anyway. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, this thing, this thing of him being like a big conservative, right? I feel like especially starting around this period, it's like, everything he does is eyed with a lot of suspicion. And I think people are looking for reasons to dislike things that he does. A hundred percent true. Uh, he's actually a libertarian too, but you know, you, you go at the Republican party and do your chair stand up chair work. Oh awful. Just an awful yeah. thing. Yeah. And then also like the film American Sniper. I think there was a couple of movies we watched over. Thankfully, uh, his work with Matt Damon and Victus and then that J Edgar biopic, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, I don't remember. I don't think I even saw the Jagger biopic. Sorry, I Leo. did see it. It's fine. It's fine. You know. <laughs> but American Sniper uh, was huge. It's a it's a, 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 a huge success. Several. Uh, it was Peak Cooper. Uh, yeah, Peak Cooper. Yeah, and then sure, like that yeah. was kind of set the template for like what he did after that, which is like you know real life American heroes. Uh, Sully. Sully. Yeah. Um, uh, even um, Five Seventeen to Paris, which was an experimental very... film, but I heard nothing but horrible things. But I never actually went out to see it yeah and then the movie we'll be talking about later uh, richard jewell it's very interesting because i mean I, from what i hear he's got a reputation these days and i don't know if this has been true his entire career but that he will only do one take of every scene 
So everything you're seeing in Richard Jewell and Cry Macho happened like that is the first take and then they moved on. You know what? I would hope not in Richard Jewell for the sake of, you know, uh, actors. Like Cassie Bates, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. They're, they're actually professional, great actors who are capable of doing more this than one take. Supposedly Macho, what he says. Though. This is supposedly what he does is that he just, he will just go like, no, we got it, <laughs> you know, and he'll move on. I can on. see that in the movies that he stars in because uh, he's old and doesn't want to do more than one take. <laughs> I mean, Cry yeah, Macho does have a lot more of a one-take feel than um, Richard Jewell. I have that in my notes, and I will delete it because we already talked about it now. <laughs> well, and this is one other thing I want to say, and then we can move on to talking about the movies. But uh, what I will say about Clint is, like, you know, and, and I to- totally, I don't want to make it sound like I don't believe that. Like, I thought the speech he gave was terrible. I, I hate all these conservative movies that he does. Like, it's so weird that I, I went into Richard Jewell. I was very surprised to, to like the movie, and I, I've been thinking more critically about Clint since then. And I think what you have to say is like, okay, he definitely has a different perspective on the world and on, you know, race relations and on what's right for people to, the right way for people to treat each other and all that stuff than you or me or, you know, anybody under 70 for sure. years old. But the man is 91 years old. You got to just say he's making movies from his perspective. And I think he stops short of doing anything that is like, hateful like there is nothing really hateful in his movies like there are some noxious yeah it's more pers- per- yeah, perspectives yeah but like you know somebody that has a different perspective than me can make movies you know yes, what i mean of I don't, course yes yeah i don't think he shouldn't be allowed to make movies or something you know uh yeah i agree with that and um it's also good to always see uh different perspectives especially uh like i said uh it's cool that a guy uh like most i don't like when I, the 19 year olds I know personally, <laughs> uh, like aren't capable of like, you know, uh, conveying a certain, of, they are capable of watching a movie, Caleb, yeah. you know, like... uh, but, and, and, uh, we'll get into it in a sec, but yeah, with cry macho, it is, uh, I, I see what he's doing here and that's, uh, uh probably just cause he's, you know, been making films for, uh, over 50, 50 years. He actually really does know what he's doing. And, uh, Sure, it's, uh, yeah, he's a straightforward director. Uh, he, and yeah, we'll talk about it. Let's talk about it right now. You want to get into it? <laughs> yeah, I, yes. I wrote the intro for this one. I just will figure yeah. out my intro. Our first movie this week is 2021's Cry Macho. You used to be strong, macho. I used to be a lot of things, but I'm not now. I'll tell you something. This macho thing is overrated. Just people trying to be macho show that they've got grit. In 1980, Dwight Yoakam guilt trips Clint Eastwood into going to retrieve his half-Mexican son. This is the plot of Cry Macho. Uh, Clint here, playing an old, widowed rodeo star, picks up the lad in Mexico where that young man where that young man was unsuccessfully picked up several times before, as this is apparently a kidnapping. This 13-year-old goes along with Clint, whose name is Mike Milo, as he wants to see the American father he barely knows, and for the trip, he brings along his false sense of manhood, a rooster named Macho. The plot is largely secondary, with the stakes even less important, We're working with an Eastwood vibe here as the director recalls past glory by means of telling a young Mexican boy how cowboys are supposed to act. Slow paced and full of driving scenes, 
one gets the sense this is Clint Eastwood delivering his current thoughts on his classic themes, the temporariness of heroism, the life full of regret. And here's a spoiler in my intro. His character near the end of the film says, this macho thing is overrated. Certainly a film, albeit one that does no favors pairing a veteran 91-year-old actor opposite a very green 13-year-old newcomer in scenes that scribe out viewpoints on how to be a man. Cry Macho is on HBO Max right now. Eastwood fans, this is a yes for newcomers to the man. Go back at least 20 years, maybe exactly 29 for Unforgiven. Uh, Chris, Cry Macho! Cry Macho! It is fun to yell. You have to say that about the title. (laughs) Cry Macho! Cry Macho! Cry Macho. Um, Yeah, you know... (laughs) Caleb, I, I I I was very interested in watching this movie because I I liked Richard Jewell, and I'll, I'll talk about that when we talk about that movie. Uh, and I sort of you know did like twist your arm a little bit in, into doing this, uh, <laughs> and I just want to take this opportunity to apologize for doing that because this is not I I would say this is not a very well executed film. I mean, like like you said, you can see what Clint is going for, right? It's a story about a guy, a broken down guy past his prime who has to go on this mission. He gets thrown together with a kid and they learn together about what it means to be a man, you know what I mean? And uh, along the way he has a little romance and okay, fine. All right. Look, look, that's a movie that like Matt Damon should be starring in. <laughs> like a movie for someone who's like 50 to be in that movie. To have like 91-year-old Clint Eastwood in this movie is a bit of a weird fit, number one. I mean, he has like a romance with a woman who's easily 30 or 40 years younger than him, yeah. like in this yeah, movie. He uh, loves giving himself those, he, he makes those decisions. Like, yeah, I'll give myself a and attractive I mean, woman to hug. So it's like, it's like <laughs> I see what it's going for, and, and it would be a little bit cliched, but with a different lead or something, maybe it would work. And with a different director, because I think Clint is just really, really showing his age with, with this one, because it's really the particulars of this movie that make it fall down. I mean, the broad strokes are lazy, but you know, if you describe anything in broad enough strokes, it sounds lazy. But really where this movie falls down is the little tiny choices that just take you out of it and make you think like what a fucking ridiculous thing i'm watching right now (laughs) like for example if i can name one so the the whole setup of clint eastwood is that um he is the world's most like modest taciturn person okay right this is like him he's like being real modest and everybody else is a big flashy show off and he's like being real modest then we go back to his house and he has easily a hundred different newspaper articles about himself framed on the wall which is exposition okay but it's like okay i'm supposed to believe that this clint eastwood character has done this and in including one of the articles is about him breaking his back, which is like the thing that ruined his life, which is framed on the wall and was apparently on the front page of the local newspaper. (laughs) This guy at a rodeo hurt himself. I mean, that's like one, there's lots of other ones, like a scene where Clint is chasing a chicken and it's very obvious. He's not within a hundred miles of a chicken and could never possibly keep up with a chicken uh, running around. There's a scene uh, where you're riding horses because they're cowboy. He's a cowboy and, Clearly a, a double. Clearly Clint Eastwood was not within a hundred miles you know, of a he's horse. 91 years old. He's not going to get on a horse. Um, you know what? Uh, uh, to, 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 to get into, to defend this movie a little bit. I didn't mind it in the sense that Clint is going to die soon. I mean, true. <laughs> That's yeah. a horrible way to say it, but I got, got, I got your attention. Uh, the slowness <laughs> of the film and the other faults in it, like, cause it's a ton of faults, uh, relay a certain amount of, like humbleness as a director too, as he's 91 years old and a legend. And what do you want from him at this point? You know, like a lot of his old movies were like uh, tough man takes down bad guys and let's protect the innocent. And here he's like, 
that's not my problem anymore. Like there is that, like there's like bad guys and uh, an innocent family there. And he kind of just like runs and like sidesteps it to a, to an extent. And I, I like, you know, that's kind of like what he's saying now. Although like I said, the large portion of portion of the movie is uh, the kid's name is Raffo. Uh, Mike and Raffo are just chill in a small village. Like he said, no, this, I think he literally says like, Oh, this village looks nice. Let's go. Here. <laughs> and then they keep, it's almost like fucking like uh, the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie or something. They keep sure. trying to leave, but then they can't leave and they just have to come back. That happens like three different times in the movie to do it to the extent that you're like, like, why are they even bothering with this? Like, yeah, I, uh, within that movie that's like I don't know I guess that movie kind of says it too where like uh, there's a temp like and this is like their ideal place they find to live uh, right. in Crime Lodge show it all becomes a nice little metaphor for goodness is temporary nothing lasts forever and you know that corniness and sentimentality uh, here to me felt like because I was like oh this is weird that it's a Clint Eastwood movie having this uh, Let the, it's like oh let the script be the script I'm just that was in the script. I'm just pushing forward through everything. Uh, and that's the kind of movies he makes. It just pushes forward, has the script out, uh, shoots the script. Uh, it is a more emotional film uh, for him. Like, you can't, I couldn't just, like, when I watched it, I was like, okay, that was weird. And then I just thought about Clint Eastwood uh, afterward. I didn't actually think of the movie. And then when I thought about those two together, I was like, yeah, this is late career Clint just telling a straightforward story. Yeah, right. And all his movies, like even the uh, ones that we just went through, uh, they always end up odd in like a lightning rod piece of filmmaking, which as a director in his 80s, uh, now 90s, it's kind of like that's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's an achievement, right? For somebody his age to be somehow getting people's attention still. Yeah, it got a bunch of marketing from HBO. You know, they put billboards up for it everywhere and stuff. And uh, I was intrigued. I will say I was intrigued, but I think it's just, I think it's real muddled. I think it's, it's way over long. The, it, the plot kind of goes in these weird circles. There's um like, there's a Dwight Yoakam in, in the beginning and I love Dwight Yoakam and I love seeing him. He's getting pretty old these days too, you know, <laughs> but he still looks pretty good. Um, He gives this crazy exposition monologue as like his first scene it's in the long, movie. Yeah where he just going on and on he's like you may have been the best rodeo rider from 1972 to 1974 and i was happy to have you on my team then and then later on i was showing you a little bit of pity but you were still producing pretty good but lately things have been going really bad <laughs> You're like, wow okay i mean yeah. i kind of had inferred a lot of that but thank you very much so I can't I, honestly like I, if if I talk about the movie the actual was on the screen which I usually do on the screen I always try to like stick to the actual movie but I couldn't with this movie because it just made me think about him and uh, yeah it's, I, I said earlier like it's cool we allow Clint to play with the idea of Clint Eastwood the icon yeah. like he is like he's a, a thing in front of the camera and then also behind the camera he's an amazing person like I said he uh, loves loves working with his score which is a pretty good score here too uh, it's. Something he's done before, uh, and a lot really, is uh, using uh, notoriety for in film. Like he tackles themes of notoriety, like Unforgiven, a man whose reputation precedes him, uh, and then comes to define him. Uh, yeah, Sully and Richard Joel also like about how uh, the notoriety how men are portrayed in media. Uh, yeah, Clint, if anything is an authority on being famous, like being yeah, an actual true. icon. Yeah, so he can, so it's cool that like. And here he is doing that in a way that's like, sure, like you say, it is muddled and things, but it's cool to like to have a man 
offer or perspective, a 90 year old man offer this perspective this well, yeah. well enough. Uh, that being said, it did remind me of uh, the Robert Redford canonizing film uh, called The Old Man and the Gun, which is a oh, ton yeah. better. It was oh, actually directed by David. David Lowry. Who and that movie is not like yeah. a home run, but it's way better than this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you did say uh, other actors to it, and there is a, a script hell, production hell going through this. Like, Clint didn't come on to this until uh, I think like 10 years ago or something. When I think, but no, uh, no, I think it was a bunch of people. So then one of them was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Originally, it was supposed to be Roy Scheider in the 90s. Oh my God. That uh, would have been cool. I would have yeah. liked that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Burt Lancaster, Pierce Brosnan, and then around, uh, I think, oh yeah, I'll, I'll pull, I have it pulled up, I have it saved. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was given the option in 2003 of starring in either a Westworld remake or Cry Macho. Oh my god. Uh, he picked uh, Cry Macho, but then was advised uh, to put it on hold because he was governor of California. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then afterwards, he was going to do Cry Macho. Uh but that was canceled because he of his divorce. So we were spared this, which I don't know what that movie would have been. I mean, it would have been interesting. He would have yeah. brought a lot of personal experience to having a half-blood Mexican son. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. That's true. Yeah, uh, he did get, for those listeners who don't remember, including myself, because I'm reading this right now, uh, he was divorced from Maria Shriver because he had fathered a son a decade earlier with an employee in their house. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, that is crazy. It's really interesting to hear, actually. I didn't know this, but it does very much feel like a script from the 90s. Um, so it was, uh, he, uh, uh, the actual the writer, N. Richard Nash, uh, he wrote it as a screenplay first. It kept getting rejected, so he reworked it into a novel. <laughs> This is in the 70s. In the 70s? <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. See, it makes sense. Well, I guess that's why it's set in 1980, right? Yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, like, the whole thing. I mean, there's just so much in the in the movie that's, like, and I was talking this up to Clint, and I, maybe I'm being uncharitable. Maybe this is just this novel from the 70s. Sure. But it's, like, you know, he's walking through Mexico, and the things that are happening behind him are, like, there are like prostitutes and drunk guys fist fighting in the street. And I'm like, Oh, this is crazy. Clint Eastwood's idea of what it's like to walk through a town in Mexico. But like, no, I'm sure that's directly from the book, you know? Yeah. Uh, actually I thought it was well, sh- well, maybe not that's the town. So, but what I like I said in my intro, there's a lot of driving in it. So they're doing a lot of just like beautiful uh, landscape shooting well, or just, uh, you know, some gorgeous shots it's of the desert here. <laughs> interesting you should bring that up because I actually also thought that this movie is very beautifully photographed. Like, mm-hmm. one of the hallmarks of late period Clint Eastwood is that his movies are, like, For so sure. indifferent uh, looking. They have very harsh, flat lighting and, like, absolutely no thought to, like, creating something cinematic. He usually you know? works with a cinematographer named Tom Stern. Uh, usually does. Uh, but uh, luckily for these two movies we're doing, which both are very well shot, uh, two other cinematographers. This one is uh, Ben Davis. Uh, yes. He works with uh, Martin McDonough movies a lot. Uh, he did Layer Cake. and uh, Layer Cake. He's also uh, done Vaughan. five yeah, Marvel movies. Five too. Marvel movies. He did The Eternals, which is coming out later this year. Oh, Captain cool. Marvel, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, and which is pretty crazy. I mean, it does, I guess there is like a really epic sky at one point in this movie, which is a yeah, kind of sure. a Marvel-y yeah. kind of thing, right? You know? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, forced epicness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in yeah. The but that's a great scene where Clint's sitting in his um, folding chair on the side of the highway, like drinking a beer, like just looking at the sunset. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. I mean, there are some things in this movie that I do like. I don't want to just brag on it. I mean, I think that it very accurately portrays this 
this Clint's ethos, which is like being humble, being small in the world, you know, not showing off about what a big, awesome person you are. And like, that's kind of what the movie is about. And I, I think in a certain way, that's what Richard Jewell is about, but it's like, and certainly it's what movies like Gran Torino and the mule are about. It's about like, you know, this kind of like, this is his problem with a lot of people, right? Is that they're, they think they're too great, you know? And I think Clint Eastwood's one of his core values is like, don't think you're so great. I mean, I'm sure he's a movie, he's a movie star and he's a director. I'm sure he's a conceited asshole in a lot of ways, but when it comes to his art, that's what he's talking about, you know? Yeah. um, He does get humbled within his uh, failed music attempts. Did you know he has albums and stuff? Anyway. Uh, but that's where his uh, that's what keeps him humble is failing <laughs> yeah it's true yeah 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 and he's I mean some of his movies have been like huge flops like you were saying you know yeah yeah and even this one uh, I don't think it's uh, they obviously released it in theaters too because you have a Clint Eastwood movie and middle America is going to go older people are going to go eat that up uh, I did read something about like how uh, all the most like a crazy amount of the tickets sold were for like the matinee screenings before 8 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Which, as, as somebody who a movie at 11 a.m. this week, like I don't have a problem with that. Oh, sure. That's great. I'm going to go see 11 a.m. movie this weekend. What up, Ridley Scott? Yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to say? I, re- I, re- I really don't. I'm, uh, it's very nice of us to not mention the the, the Raffo actor's name. I uh, think okay. I mean, less let's, about him than Jet is nice. As well. Let's okay. Let's go. He's a terrible actor. Every line he delivers uh, is bad. He it was one of the things that is really dragging the movie down is how awful this kid is, is as an actor. And I mean, of course, he's playing a stereotype. He's basically playing like short round from Indiana Jones, except he's supposed to. He's nice. No, good. Don't. Yeah, Short Round is a great actor. That kid was so good. He's a great actor, but I mean, as far as that, his character being just a collection of ethnic stereotypes. That's true. Yeah. You know, like a plucky kid. You know, but this kid isn't. Be macho. This kid is like, if he was one of your classic 1980s plucky kids, this would be a much better movie. Oh, but for he, sure. Like they find him at a, a cockfight and it's like, oh, this kid. But then there's like no personality. There's no. It's so it would be so easy for him to be cute in a scene like this. You know, he just has to be like real spunky. I mean, like, sh- like, you know, like short round. Exactly like that. Like very spunky, yeah. very adult, you know, very like fed up with everybody. And that is how it's written. But the kid just cannot deliver on that at all. Yeah, it really, it, uh, poor kid. Poor kid. I mean, but you know, that's down to Clint as a director. I mean, first of all, he got cast. Second of all, he was directed. And, you know, third of all, it was edited. And this is the movie, you know, like, yeah. It's hardly, uh, it's hardly his fault at all. It's everybody else's fault. Nobody, they should, he should have been protected from giving this performance, you know, like, yeah, I should have cast someone else. Uh, anyway. Should have cast somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> he's really, 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 really bad. The whole there's a whole thing with this fucking cry macho. Macho is the chicken, Caleb. I mean, yes. for God's sake, it's like the title it, title chicken, oh crying chicken. God, it's so ridiculous, and the we chicken's could, oh, a uh, metaphor, uh, uh, and like I spoiled some more of the things. So there's a, a big culminating uh, tracking them down in their car scene, and who saves them? The it's a rooster. The rooster saves the them. Rooster. The rooster flies up oh, and saves God. him, and then they split up. And then the kid gives him a rooster to say goodbye. I mean, this movie is like any which way but loose, basically. Like it's another like movie he directed, yeah. Clint and a fucking animal on a road sure. trip, Damn. you know, like. Goddamn, Clint! It's so it's so it, when it would have worked Was a lot better. Was there a mule in the mule? I you I know, know there might I'm have kidding. been. Honestly, there might have been. <laughs> Was there a bird in Bird? That's this Charlie Parker movie. Birdman of Alcatraz had a bird for sure. He was the fucking Birdman. Uh, I thought he would have escaped from Alcatraz, not. Oh yeah, that's right. Title. But he's—I think that's his character. Is yeah. Yeah. 
like we're um, saying right now, his older movies are older movies are pretty great. Go see those. They're pretty great. Anyway. Anyway. Um, let's yeah, talk about his other new movies. Yeah, let's talk about this other movie. It's 2019's Richard Jewell. Richard, you're a national hero now. Thank you, sir. But I was just doing my job. You always look at the guy who found the bomb just like you always look at the guy who found the body. Jewel fits the profile of the lone bomber. A frustrated white man who is a police wannabe who seeks to become a hero. We're running it. So uh, I've kind of mentioned this already, but um, the, the reason I wanted to do this podcast, the reason I wanted to see Cry Macho was that I had seen the 2019 Clint Eastwood directed Richard Jewell recently. And um, going into it, I knew what you knew and had the attitude that I was describing before. Like Clint Eastwood is this fucking crazy Republican. Like all his movies are kind of hacky and weird. And um, this, there was all this controversy around Richard Jewell because um, he, it's like, it's the, the media is the villain and it's portraying this particular, this female reporter uncharitably. And like, how could it do this? And like Clint Eastwood is so crazy. It's just a Republican thing to villainize the media, blah, blah, blah. And like, and I believe that. And I didn't watch the movie for years. Um, but then um, the thing about Richard Jewell is that uh, it, while it does villainize the media, like that's true to say that like media, media is the villain of this. But what that leaves out is to say the movie also is villainizing like the FBI and law enforcement mm-hmm. generally. So like, it's not like it's particularly coming down from like a statist fascist point of view. Um as well as the fact that every everything it says about the media in this case is true with one very important exception. Um, but other than that, it's like, this stuff really happened. Like Richard Jewell was like made into a national joke and was like the, on the cover of newspapers everywhere around the world and based on nothing, you know, based on the kind of parroting of law enforcement sources that people are supposedly so against these days. And, you know, they so are, everybody's up in arms about that kind of stuff. When the New York Times just like publishes something, the FBI tells them people are like, oh, they're in the, you know, they're fascists. They're just like spreading the lies of the government, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's what's happening in this case, um, which is just to say um, very quickly that Richard Jewell is the true story of how a security guard and wannabe cop named Richard Jewell became first the hero of the 1996 Olympic bombing in Atlanta. And then very quickly, the prime suspect and a national joke. But like, oops, turns out he was innocent and there was actually never any evidence implicating him in the first place. Um, and this movie is told from Richard Jewell's point of view. I mean, as someone who grew up in the nineties, like I'm very familiar with who Richard Jewell Mm -hmm. is. I I remember what a joke he was. And even when he like was acquitted or whatever, the idea was like somehow he had gotten away with it, you know, and it was, nobody thought he was innocent basically. Um, and so this movie is from his point of view as he bewilderingly becomes the center of this media and legal circus. And then slowly, very, very slowly starts to stand up for himself. Um, Caleb, I was frankly shocked at how much I liked this movie. Um, how did you feel about it? Uh, you know, it's a, I, our listeners are probably around the same age, so they're, they're probably familiar with the story. But anyway, it's a, a sensationalized version of the truth that ultimately lands off of the emotions of the title character and the title character's mother, Richard Jewell, the man. This guy wants to be a cop so much. He is, it's his lifelong goal. Cops come up and laugh at this man. And when he does an actual act of heroism, like he becomes a scapegoat. That's a, a tragedy. They do this very, I thought the film, again, was done very, very, very well. It's, uh, it's a surprisingly adept film for he was 
89 at the time of this one. <laughs> uh, so a wow. little bit more spry, yeah. a little bit more on his feet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's at its worst when it preaches the those core themes of like the overreaching of the media and the government. Right, right, right. Uh, and it's at its best when it just focuses on the characters. Characters uh, who usually don't have movies made about them, like sweet oddballs. Uh, these are sweet oddballs in like a cruel circumstance. Uh, well, yeah. yeah, I think I was just going to say it's like a, another case of his, uh, the individual over the mass. Uh, and I think that is a thing that he's done before. And uh, I will talk about him much later, but I loved, I'm a huge fan of this uh, actor, Paul Walter Hauser. Paul Walter Hauser, the Loved goat, so. like in this movie, my God, what a performance, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but yeah, like, well, you were saying, um, I, well, let's just talk about Paul Walter Hauser. I mean, yeah, the man. kind of people that <laughs> movies aren't made about, right? Like, Richard Jewell is such a great, like, Shakespearean Greek tragedy character because the qualities that lead him to success are also the qualities that undo him, and they you can't separate them out. So, like, the, like you're saying, the thing about Richard Jewell is he wants to be a cop so bad. He's so annoying. He's a complete lunatic. The, the movie shows him, like, hassling kids for smoking pot in their dorm rooms and reveals that he's, like, pretending to be a police officer on the street, all this stuff that... But it's like he's doing it kind of like out of this warped idea that he's trying to do his job as good as possible, right? And so these are the qualities that also lead him to, while he's a security guard at a concert at the Olympics, which everybody else is just like goofing off and drinking beer and watching the concert. He's like patrolling around, hassling people that are standing where they're not supposed to be standing, just being a complete dick, doing stuff that there's no reason to be doing, except that he actually finds a bomb by doing that (laughs) stuff, which is crazy. And so then he manages to save all these people but then it's like nobody knows who's at fault and they start investigating people and they're like oh well this fucking insane person Richard Jewell like he wants to be a cop he's guilty of doing all this harassing of people like he probably did it just to like make himself look good and it's like it's it's so beautiful because you can't pull those two things apart you know yeah the 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 performance like immediately after of the bombing uh the I'll, I'll save that for later. But yeah, uh, he's just a very sweet guy. He's always asking, "I could, what can I do more?" He asks for what I could help. Uh, he's giving morning, people he's, water he's asking, all the times, you know. Yeah, he's asking, uh, like, "Hey, there's these two cops over there. I just wanted to ask if they're fine." He does nothing but be the sweetest guy in the world, and I think uh, that's why Paul Walter Hauser is such a fucking good actor. I was super stoked when uh, it's the only reason I wanted to see this to begin with because I'm a, a huge fan of him. Uh, uh, Started paying attention to him uh, off of Trip Knob. Trip Knob is a character in Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt, who writes his own songs. It is ridiculous and borderline offensive and gross. I love it. Uh, and then, yeah, you've seen him in things. Uh, fucking great in I, Tonya. Fucking great, great in I, Tonya. Great in I, Tonya. Amazing. Can yeah, just... Black Kellensman steals his scenes. Oh, uh, there's a dumb movie called Late Night with where, uh, what's her name, Emma Thompson plays a late night. He's just, he's the type of person that isn't in movies a lot. Like, and I know that there are, you know, I mean, he's overweight, you know, he's not traditionally character actor. He's a character actor. He's not like a movie star. Right. But it's like, he isn't the kind of person that it often is in film. And and he reminds you a kind of person in real life that you kind of maybe don't want to interact with or don't want to think about, you know, or you kind of like think they're less of a person than you somehow. And he gives this beautiful performances as real vulnerable sad people you know who are who are those people and he got that line from jamie taco wait (laughs) had to throw that in there um i think (laughs) i don't actually have any idea what you're talking about what are you talking about what is that whoa 
you're a jabroni. I got like behind jabroni. Uh, his he loves his wife, but his life, wife helped him support him when Jamie Traco. Kept oh, of course, he's line. the guy, and I think you should leave. Yeah, man. That's him. I didn't even <laughs> recognize him. Hell yeah, man. Oh my god, that's yeah. Crazy. He's a, he, he was in an episode. Of the, uh, if there, if uh, uh, hopefully people have been checking out the new Reader Nine One One. He's uh, up in that too. Uh, yeah, he has a Key and Peele credit too. Back in the day, I, uh, I remember trying to find uh, f- finding an episode after realizing that he was in Key and Peele. Hmm. Uh, great stuff, great stuff, great, great actor. Uh, great actor. Um, definitely getting more roles, but yeah, like I said, character actors never get to lead roles. I mean, they do, and it's awesome when they do. Uh, Steve Buscemi gets to lead roles every once in a while. Once in a while, Willem Dafoe when he gets to lead a movie is awesome. Uh, Richard Jenkins in The Visitor, I always say. Tom McCarthy movies, he always lets uh, character actors come up. But yeah, uh, I. I love yeah, what he's like, doing. I love what he's doing in this movie because he's portraying to like you were talking about how he's always being really nice to people, which he is. He's always being really nice to people. But you, Paul, Paul is playing him in this way where it's like, it's like Richard Jewell is doing an impression of things he's seen on TV that he thinks this is how people should act to each other, you know, or this is how he thinks a cop acts or something like that, you know, despite having been a cop at one point. Like, do you, do you know what I mean? Like when he's in, whenever yeah. he's in it, like when he's in a crisis or when he's always just, he seems, it's like, it's almost like he's like repeating lines he heard on TV or something, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a ton of physical ticks he puts in here. Just, uh, just through body motion, just by even like the way he breathes, I thought was like, you know, even like times of he's asserting himself, there's like these tiny moments of him just standing up for himself that are nice. Or just, you could tell through body language when he's, uh, more submissive uh like even the way he takes his sunglasses on and off uh you know so good it's such a good performance yeah. right it's amazing the, the, i couldn't believe bet. that kathy bates is the person from this movie that got nominated for an oscar and not oh, him. I can't, yeah like i mean she uh, is good of course but she's only has a couple scenes and like he's doing so much he's <laughs> something i love to say about movies now is like that they're like alive like he's so alive in this role he seems like a living person you know uh i think i always say on this podcast uh Performances get me through a movie, and that's a hundred percent carried me. Not, it was him, and I would say I thought I liked Kathy Bates a lot in this movie too. Uh, yeah, so it reminded me of just great acting. Reminds me of you know I always say to myself when I judge acting, the best acting is not looking like you're acting, exactly. which is an impossible it's, thing to do because uh, acting, acting is rea- uh, acting is reacting, Caleb. So know. yeah, yeah, it's you, what you bring more than what is in the script, uh, and you know sometimes I would say. Uh, the the example we could use is that kid didn't bring anything from that script in pretty much a word. Like uh, Paul Walter Hauser, like I said, observing all these physical texts, he's bringing uh, just the line delivery too. And Kathy Bates in this movie, she has to sell the audience on like kind of both sides uh, while still siding with Richard. Uh, And like we're the audience and we know the truth and she has to like parse it out for herself. It's, It's very, very awesome. I could see like, she like is such a good and like, protective and frightened mother like i totally believed everything she did because she's an amazing again an amazing character actor she's always going like like where are they going with my dishes you know she has a big shame on the media she has she got the big speech in this movie she got the big shame on the media that's the oscar speech right she didn't win she only got nominated Mm -hmm. and i will say it's good for this it is also a pretty decent screenplay too because they follow that scene up with the big confrontation in the uh, boardroom where richard actually stands up for herself and there's a nice line that's probably not real and everyone said it to him in real life but uh we didn't talk about sam rockwell sam rockwell well that's the other thing i want to talk about he says he looks at him and says before he gets into the thing like no one in that room is better that is a better man than you i was like oh that's a very clint eastwood line so great and that does that gets back to around i think that is clint's ethos 100 percent. and i agree with that too you know it's like 
And it's very American, right? It's like your mm-hmm. fucking title, your job. It doesn't mean shit. Like we're all just <laughs> men and we're all just people. And it's like we all just interact with each other as equals, you know? Sure. I think that's great. I mean, well, yeah, you were brought up Sam Rockwell. Like, oh, look, I, yeah, look, I, yeah. I'll, I'll admit my biases. I'm a big sucker for Sam Rockwell. Me too, yeah. Um, and that certainly he's been in some real stinkers, like that movie with fucking Anna Kendrick where he's an assassin, terrible, and emblematic of the kind of bad stuff that he did for a long time. But, like, when he is firing on all cylinders and when he's in a good production, you can't fucking beat this guy, man. I love him in this part. I love him in this movie. You know what? He's, he's the one, he's, like, doing the, like, he's Richard's, like, it. Like, he's standing up for him, and he's trying to hype him up, and he's getting mad on his behalf. And, like, what, yeah, Watson Bryant, uh, uh, a lawyer who also had a high-paying job and went down to have a lesser-paying high, lesser job as a lawyer. But for him, I thought, uh, in general, I thought he's very good in this movie, but he's more uh, tame Sam Rockwell. He gets to show off his fastball yeah. in this movie. Usually he's just a little bit more wild, and he's very funny in a lot of times. But this is like, no, he's a straight-up great dramatic actor. Uh, and yeah, I didn't uh, – it totally comes across in the film, and it's never clearly stated. But uh, Watson Bryant, of course, is a real-life person. Uh, he's a libertarian in real life because like, he's a staunch libertarian, and uh, as is Clint Eastwood. So thinking about that, like, oh, yeah, he – this is Clint's probably favorite character in the movie yeah, too. Right. Yeah, he gets he gets he gets a lot of the juiciest stuff to do. I mean, what you're saying about him being toned down, I think you're totally right, and that's what's so great about it is mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell isn't being like the movie version of Sam Rockwell. He's being like a real guy that is kind of like Sam Rockwell. You know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. is like those guys certainly exist, and he seems very believable as like a, a lawyer and somebody you know. Who's, you know, his job is to stand up for people and get in arguments. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and he's doing, he does so much. His job is to basically, he's the guy, you know, when Kathy Bates is like, where are they going with my dishes? He's like, mm-hmm. eh, I hope you boys uh, bring them back clean or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah, his yeah. kind of role in the movie. Um, but I thought, I, I just love him. It made me really role, miss yeah. him. It made me miss seeing miss him. Miss Sam Well, not that he's not still in movies, but like, <laughs> yeah. he's kind of not. I I don't know. He had a movie on his movie on Disney plus with a, a, a monkey. This is what I'm saying. What is his last, what is the last good movie that Sam Rockwell was in? Uh, probably something great. I don't know. <laughs> I well, exactly. that was a couple of years ago. I mean, confessions of a dangerous mind was like 15 years ago or something at this point. I said, uh, I like three billboards. Uh, oh, three billboards. But, I, I don't, I wasn't crazy about that movie. He was in we, Jojo rabbit. I think. Yeah. I talked about that. Uh, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, just, he probably has, you know what that just means when you don't see an actor for a while, he's about to come up with a bunch of stuff. I mean, I guess I did forget about the three billboards and Jojo rabbit. Those were two really huge movies that were a huge. Yeah. I think he got an Oscar nomination for, uh, he played George W. Bush in uh, vice, Mm. but I don't think he got, he got some awards. I don't think he got an Oscar, but. Uh, he might have actually got an Oscar for that because I remember that, that being was mad. Sucked. Didn't we yeah. do that on this show? I hated that movie so much. Yeah, um, I don't think we did it on the show. So, uh, yeah. Oh, no. Did you have something? It, I was, I was going to say something. I'll just talk about other actors in this movie. And it might be because they were written as villains and had to play that one note in the script. But like I said, they're not bringing anything much more to the script. Uh, there's a little bit of lack of nuance from Olivia Wilde here. <laughs> yeah, Olivia Wilde, I would say, is not one of my favorite performances in this movie. She's not no. doing great, I think. No. And even, like, I don't know, John Hamm's fine, a little bit stoic in it. But yeah, can I thought he was going to... Remember when we thought John Hamm was going to be a leading man in the movie? Yeah, right. I know. He's, now he's more of a character. He almost like yeah, is he's not... He's actor. like... I don't know if he actually has gained weight or something, but he gives off this kind of like doughy middle-aged guy thing now. <laughs> you know? 
Yeah. He's uh, I, I like what he's doing in this movie because he's so he's the FBI agent, but he's doing a whole range of stuff. He goes from being like shat upon and like nobody cares about him to being like really important to being like completely fucked over and really mad to being like this kind of insane villain who's trying to prove something that obviously isn't true to just to like save his own ass. So that's fun that he's getting to do different stuff in different scenes, you know. So yeah, Clint loves uh, as, as we went through his filmography, you could re-listen, go back and re-listen to that. With this in mind, Clint loves men just doing their jobs. Yeah, 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 <laughs> That's yeah. a thing. Uh, so again, like it's a smart script uh, to make Richard so docile because uh, maybe he's not that in real life. He prob- probably is hopefully this docile in real life, but he's like not docile until about a quarter of the movie. And there's like a scene where the, he's talked into like, we'll do it. Uh, and as the audience, again, we know this is a true story. Like the whole time, we're like, "Come on, dude!" Yeah, you're like, so "Come like, on, stand up for yourself." You know, yeah, the whole time. So uh, stop, we know, stop we know giving interviews happened. to the police. Yeah, every there's so many times in this movie where the cops are like, "Hey, uh, we just wanted to do a pretend confession with you, where you're going to confess." <laughs> and he's like, "Okay, sure, guys, thanks a bunch." You know? Yeah, that seems right. That's I, I, I get that. I'm a, I'm a police officer. I'm also too. a law <laughs> enforcement officer, so I get it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a good script. Uh, Billy Ray wrote the script. Billy Ray wrote uh, Captain Phillips and one of Chris's favorite movies, Shattered Glass. Hey, I do love that movie. Another movie about it. the media, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that is the other thing to talk about, just to, you know, because I think we're getting close to the end of the episode, but like... Yeah. Um, the so right the sure, big yeah, knock on this movie it. is about the way it portrays the media and specifically it's the Olivia Wilde character have sex with John Hamm's character to get a story right okay and that's not even exactly like a hundred percent how the scene plays out in the movie he kind of thinks that she's joking but then he's like oh we're really gonna have sex and she's like oh yeah sure but like okay like okay that is bad and that is a, a harmful stereotype of women journalists and I I don't approve of that it's bad and it obviously didn't happen in real life but you know like. Like you're saying, Caleb, it's a it's a sexed up Hollywood version of this movie. You've got Olivia Wilde and John Hamm in a scene together, like getting drunk at a bar. Like as a viewer, I want them to fuck at the end of that. Like you know, and I I know that is not historically accurate, but like come on, you put these two people together and get them rubbing all on each like you just let them go fuck. You there know? was a controversy. I think the Atlanta Journal Constitution sued the film or sued Clint Eastwood. Well, like that was a thing about it too. But, uh, and I did like what uh, Olivia Wilde said about all this. Was like. Yeah, you're concentrating on the woman. You could concentrate on the man who is doing a bad job here right. too. Which He's like, doing yeah, a terrible a job, and that point. is <laughs> that is what the movie is kind of showing you is like John Hamm is royally fucking up by telling her this, and he really shouldn't do it. But it's like he's doing it because he wants to feel important, you know. Like, and it's like really uh, that's what is the bad thing that starts everything going bad. But um, you know, look, you're like uh, I I've worked in the media in one way or another almost my entire adult life. I'm very pro media. I mean, that is my job is like professionally for the last six years is to be like pro media. Like that is my job. Um, And I I do get worked up about stuff that's anti-media. And I think so Mm -hmm. much of it is lazy and stupid. And look, you have to say like, this is about a real thing that really happened. And like, this is not, it's the way it's portrayed is not a hundred percent true, but like, you know, Richard Jewell sued all these, they sued the Atlanta journal constitution and won. And he sued, you know, all these other like, uh, like people, I forget who, you know, like other broadcasters and he won because they were all saying stuff without any facts. And they were, you know, this, I I do think of this period in the nineties, as kind of the height of this like tabloid culture, like a million cameras on your lawn, like people screaming at you while you're trying to go into Starbucks or whatever. I mean, but like, this all this stuff happened. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's important for, sure. for the media to own up to mm-hmm. it and to say like, 
yeah, this was all fucked up and we shouldn't do this kind of thing, you know? And, and yeah. not to be like, oh, the portrayal of the media in this movie is not positive enough. I'm like, well, that, that's because what the media did was really bad, you know? Yeah, it's true. Uh, it, it, yeah, so say, we're saying it's uh, it's a baldly anti-journalist film. And I, I get, and uh, as the time, why I probably didn't see it too, this is, it came out in an era where Republicans chant fake news at it. Exactly, uh, exactly. So like Clint is sensationalizing the truth here for his own agenda. And he's like weaponizing the benefit of hindsight here. And to me, that is like sacrifices a little bit of the truth of cinema. Uh, But, you know, point is taken. Media coverage sucks. Like it's, it's it's killed princess dies. It sucks. But like there is an ultimate message he does get out that, you know, takes a while to get or gets lost. I don't know, depending on how you watch it. I don't know. Uh, But, you know, take a pause and listen to facts over these profiles and hearsay. That's a great message to learn. Right. Totally. That's good media literacy that we should all have. And you're right. I mean, and where I I am not being as charitable, maybe because I had the benefit of seeing it in 2021. But in 2019, yeah, fake news. Like, we hate CNN, you know, like, you know, like that is it was such a. And even the idea of demonizing the FBI, that is kind of, that was a whole Trump thing too, was that the, the FBI was out to get him. So it does slot into all that stuff and it does kind of fit in this like Republican conspiratorial mindset. But I think lifted out of that, even just a year and a half, it, it's a great movie, you know? Uh, speaking of middle America, uh, it's, I'm surprised. Well, maybe not. Well, it came out before the pandemic. It was the end of 2019. Uh, where you could still go to movies. It, didn't they didn't come out for it uh they didn't come out for a clinton movie yeah uh it it grossed back only a million more it had a 21 million dollar budget made 22 million uh, worldwide it it made its money back i think somehow people thought this was like a this was like a trump movie or something somehow i really do think people thought that yeah sorry it was uh budget was 45 million and it it it, totaled worldwide 43 million so it didn't make any money back uh it's considered a flop but yeah, it's uh, uh, looking at it, uh, it's a uh, middle America should have ate the shit up. It's a guy uh, who 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 knows, and they we all know is right, uh, being blown up by the media. And sure, he's like he's slow and overweight. We don't think to see a guy like this. They should relate to him. Uh, he yeah. respects authority. He loves his mother. He wants to be he a cop. His dream yeah. is to be a cop. You know, people should have came up for this. Maybe because they because they don't understand the wonder of Paul Walter Hauser. They need a, a sexy boy in it, which. Did you know who uh, originally was supposed to be in it in the uh, early genesis of it? They have, they both have producer credits on this film. No, who? Who is it? Uh, Jonah Hill and Mr. Leonardo DiCaprio. We're oh going to play the uh, Richard oh Jewell God. and Sam. This was like ten years ago at this point, too. I, I think, mean, that would have been great if, in, if in the prime time of their collaboration, they had done this Richard Jewell movie. That would have been a, a hit for all time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I forget Directed who by, the like, other... Paul Thomas Anderson or something. Uh, let me see if I can look it up real quick. Hey, I can't find it. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all right. Don't worry about it. But like, um... oh, David O. Russell. David O. Russell. David O. Russell. Yes, of course. Yes, that would have fucking ruled. David O. Russell. Yes, a hundred percent. Oh my god. I mean, this is definitely a different movie, obviously. Um, but I do like this movie. You know, I do like it. There's like I don't know some of the. Uh, it's he's an 89 year old director. Like the bombing scene itself was. Yeah, uh, right. Really not that competent. The it's lighting like is awful. Yeah. yeah you know, you know I didn't mind that the whole movie's kind of shot in the shadow. You know, I looked up the cinematographer's name's Eves Ballinger. He shot the movie Brooklyn. That mm, one was okay. Cersei Ronan. Cersei. <laughs> Cersei. Cersei Ronan. It's like a nurse. Uh, but you know, uh, I will give it up for uh, Clint Eastwood, if only for we got to see uh, 
him directing a giant crowd in the Macarena. That's, that's so that fucking happens. ridiculous. <laughs> I love it. I love that that is in this movie. It's so embarrassing. At the time, I found the Macarena so embarrassing and the way everybody did it. And, and in, in a way, you were forced to do it. You had no choice but to do the Macarena. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I know it by heart. So cringe, and um, it was really, honestly, made me feel <laughs> uncomfortable to watch again, even at this remove. Um, uh, yeah, it. Uh, yeah, I so, think we're winding down here. But Caleb, yeah, if you have anything else to say, well, I was just going to say to you, Caleb, like, let's say you had to pick one of these movies, or you would be locked in some kind of deal with the devil, where you had to direct a movie every year until you were 150 years old. Oh, um, which cool, of these actually. movies would you pick? Uh, you know, uh, Clint. Like I said, Clinton is an artist behind the camera and sure a lot of the time i don't like what's in front of that camera uh but he knows what he's doing uh even if he doesn't care about the results like he probably is proud to an extent of uh cry macho and i'm picking richard jewel here uh because like he sacrifices a lot of that you know like he said he does like one takes or like the nuance for the story just sticks to the script uh it's a fair trade for the story he's telling he's a very straightforward director but he leaves it here uh, to the actors to fill in the blanks and with Richard Jewell it's a, just a, a like we're love these performances here uh, and it really does fill it in this makes the movie good uh, like uh, Clint how he does with masculinity he, it, it, this movie ends with a, a, a two men embracing each other and crying because we're so thankful yes. for their situation uh, it is, well, it is uh, a movie about male friendship yeah. right you know yeah, uh, I'm picking Richard Jewell. I'm not going to say I loved it so much, but it is a, a, a solid B movie. We're actually B choice movies this choice week, movies. but yeah, yeah, Richard Jewell is it. Yeah, I got to agree with you there, uh, Caleb. I think you know maybe Richard Jewell benefited from me going into it with like extremely low expectations. Always having, happens. Having it, heard all these negative <laughs> things about it, right, and being like surprised at how good it was. Um, but I just thought, I mean, it is, it is in its own way, very straight ahead plot driven movie and it starts at point A and it goes to point B, you know, right. Uh, and there are some twists and turns, but you know, it, it's not like lyrical or dreamlike or anything. It's like telling a story. Right. But I think it really benefits from being like so amazingly well cast, absolutely packed with great actors giving fantastic performances. Um, and it's, it's like a really good movie it's an enjoyable movie to watch you know and there are heroes and villains and it's complicated but you know and the good guys win eventually and the bad guys lose and you know you and the bad guys don't just lose but they realize that they are wrong you know which is great that's so satisfying to see you know and you get to watch the little guy win over all these people even though it's like win in a qualified way where he's still gone through hell and his life is ruined but like you know i i I really enjoyed it um i was glad to have watched it and i was sorry that i didn't see it for two years because of like whatever i read about it on yeah Twitter. i'm, I'm going to give my all my apologies to paul walter hauser who uh i'm not i'm not gonna see you in that dalmatian what's that dalmatian movie called krella 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 it's called crawler crawler yeah which i saw that he's in uh but yeah maybe i'll be watching i tanya i don't know if I, I don't he's know great in that. He's so good yeah he's great very good very very career to watch because he, character actor love character actors yeah i <laughs> get think in, get him in a safety brothers movie stat i think he's, he's gonna fucking he's blowing up right now i think paul the i think he's gonna get his that, time he's got that i think he's leave under his books yeah well what else do you need a god already amongst me <laughs> all right we did it everybody thank you congratulations
this sounds like I'm making a mean joke, but I am also not making a mean joke. Like he has the like bravery to have the hair of a 91 year old man in a movie. Do you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. so stringy and thin and like maybe he is wearing a wig, but it's just not too much of a wig. But like I thought I and it was it's always like sticking off in a weird way. I mean, as somebody who's losing his hair, I'm like very attuned to that kind of stuff. And I was like, it is honestly unselfconscious and brave to look with your hair like that in a movie. Like, I really do think that. I mean, he directed it. You know, he could if he wanted to yeah. look different, he could have looked different, you know. He has the budget for wigs. Yeah. He, has, he has a wig budget. Are you fucking kidding me? 